The readings this morning are taken from Job, and the first one is on page 538 of the Church Bibles. It's Job chapter 38, verses 1 to 7. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. The second reading is taken from Job chapter 41 and it's on page 541 of the Church Bibles. It's verses 1 to 11 of Job chapter 41. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook? or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For those of you who are visiting, um, or if you've been asleep for the last 10 weeks, we've been reading the book of Job. And uh, you can tell from the reference there, we are almost at the end. And uh, when I put the series together, there were two sermons in particular that I was really looking forward to. Uh, One was on chapter 19, that's the I know that my Redeemer lives passage, and uh, the other was today's passage, uh, partly because it's so difficult (laughs) and I enjoy a challenge. Uh, So you may have spotted from the first verse of the reading that Dillis read, this bit is why the whole series is called Out of the Storm. Because God speaks to Job out of the storm. Finally, after all the back and forth that's been going on for many, many chapters between Job and his friends, after a poem about wisdom, after a speech by the young man Elihu who warns Job about the danger he was in, finally, after all that, God speaks. And he, says two, he gives two speeches, and they each begin like that. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. 
When God spoke to Elijah, you'll know the famous passage, he didn't speak through the earthquake, wind, or fire, but with the still small voice of calm. Sometimes that is how God speaks, but sometimes he speaks out of the storm. Sometimes God speaks in the thunder, which is how he spoke to his people on Mount Sinai when he gave the Ten Commandments. Then, as here, God speaks directly. These are not the words of a prophet saying, thus says the Lord, this is God speaking. So this is a sit up and listen passage. This is the climax of the whole book, the bit we've been waiting for, the bit when God answers all Job's questions and explains everything and tells us how the world fits together and why there is suffering and evil and how he executes perfect justice. Not. (laughs) That's not what happens. The Lord doesn't answer Job's agonized question, why? But he gives a much deeper and more profound response to Job's suffering. Uh, This guy uh, is King Alfonso X. He was uh, king of Spain in the 13th century, and he was nicknamed Alfonso the Learned. And uh, like many of us, as you can see from that quote, he thought he could do a better job of running the universe than God. Had I been present at the creation, he said, I would have given some useful hints for the better ordering of the universe. Now, we might not say that out loud, but many of us think or act as though we know better than God, as though we could do a better job than him as though we can ignore what he has to say, as though we don't really need him at all, actually, until something goes wrong. So God's first speech is a reminder of a simple but profound truth. God is God. It's a simple truth, but it's one that we often forget, and Job needed to be reminded of that. Job has wished he could summon the Lord into the courtroom. He's been saying that over and over again. If only God would come and hear my plea. But here, the Lord summons Job. Out of the storm, God says to Job, you've been asking all these questions, but actually I'm going to question you. Job 38, chapter 3, brace yourself. I will question you. I counted 53 questions in God's first speech to Job. They begin, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? We've sung those words earlier. God doesn't say all that to belittle Job. What he's trying to do, he's trying to lift Job's eyes to see the beauty and the wonder and the order of creation. God shows Job that he's been wrong to say that the world is fundamentally evil. No, he says. Chapter 38, verse 7. When I made the world, the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. What a picture that is of God's beautiful creation. But there's another point that's easy to miss. See, Job and his friends between chapter 38 and chapter 37, they call God El Shaddai, which is Hebrew for God Almighty. And of course he is. He is Almighty God. But when God speaks to Job out of the storm, he has given his covenant name for the first time since chapter 2, Yahweh. When you're reading the Old Testament in English and you see Lord written in those funny little capitals, that means it's translating the Hebrew word Yahweh. 
It's not, it's not the word for God or any of the other words that the Bible calls him. It's the word Yahweh, his covenant name. You see, God is almighty. He is powerful. He is high. He is exalted. He is all those things. But he is also Yahweh, the God of the covenant, who calls his people by name, who acts out of love to save and to rescue. Remember who I am, the Lord says. I am the creator of the stars, and I'm the creator of you. I laid the earth's foundation, and I fixed the limits of the sea, and I know your name. I am the one who is mighty, and I am the one who loves you, God says. God is God. And yet there is still a problem. Christopher Ashe puts it like this. It is all very well for the Lord to be the good creator of a good world. But what about the world we actually have to live in? A good world touched by darkness and death. The problem goes something like this. If God is all good, he must want to remove suffering. If God is all knowing, come on, he must know about all suffering. And if God is all powerful, he must be able to remove it. So given that there is suffering, God cannot be all three of those at once. That's the problem. The thing is, there's a little bit more to it than that, isn't there? The truth about the world cannot be reduced to a simple argument. God is the living God. And yet, there is evil. I'm sure many of you um, have been watching the news this week. And you will have seen the nurse, Lucy Letby, who's been convicted of killing, I think it's six babies, and seven and attempting to murder six more. Um, yesterday, the Daily Mail's, and it had the caption, The Eyes of Evil. Now, I'm not sure evil is what I see in her eyes. I'm not sure what I see in her eyes, to be honest. She looks so ordinary. But that's kind of the point of evil. She committed these evil crimes while living an ordinary life, going out with her friends, going into work. See, evil doesn't always look like Hitler or Stalin. Evil doesn't always look like a creepy loner. In fact, it rarely does. Far more often, evil is hard to spot, hidden from sight, until it's too late. In his second speech to Job, God unmasks that hidden evil in the world, the hidden evil that has been stalking Job's life, and he calls it behemoth and Leviathan. Over the years, much ink has been spilled. Um, I was going to bring you one of my books. I have a 200-page uh, book about Behemoth and Leviathan. Um, I'm not going to summarize every page for you. Um, behemoth, at first, sounds a bit like a hippo. Skulking in the waters, eating grass like an ox. Strong and powerful, this is in chapter 40. Leviathan sounds a bit like a crocodile. Not sure why my thing's not working today. Fierce teeth. Scales that are so hard you can't pierce them. But is that really the best God can do? 
Hey, Job, sorry about all that happened, but hey, look, a hippo. Really? Is the climax of the book of Job really a description of a crocodile? Surely not. Job, in chapter 42, verse 6, ends up repenting in dust and ashes because of what God is saying here. Why is Job turning to repentance when God describes a hippo and a crocodile? Of course, there is more to it than that. You see, this is not the first time that Leviathan appears in the book of Job. Back in chapter 3, which if you remember, uh, seven weeks ago, whenever I preached on it, um, I said it's one of the bleakest, if not the bleakest, chapter in the whole book. Job wishes he'd never been born. In fact, he wishes he'd never been conceived. He wishes that the day of his birth could be erased from history. And he wants the darkness to win. He wants his life to be undone. Not only to die, but to be as if he'd never existed. And he calls on Leviathan to do that. Come on, Job says. Finish the job then. That doesn't sound to me like something a crocodile could do. And anyway, whose hand was it that had been striking Job? If we look more closely at these terrible creatures, we get more clues. The name behemoth means something like super beast. It's like the plural of the word for cattle, one of the words for cattle, but it's obviously a single creature. And then in uh, uh, part of chapter 41, verses 19 to 21, Leviathan breathes fire. Now, I haven't seen an, a, a crocodile for a while, but I'm fairly sure it didn't breathe fire. It sounds like a dragon. And then in chapter 41, verse 25, we see that Leviathan terrifies the angels. So we have a beast and we have a dragon. Does that ring any bells? What does that remind you of? In Revelation, they are used as pictures to describe Satan and his servants, evil and destruction. Now perhaps we begin to understand. These creatures are more than a hippo and a crocodile. They are pictures God is using of the untamable and violent and destructive evil of Satan. See, it's tempting to think that Satan's work finished at the end of chapter 2. In verse 7 of chapter 2, Job is afflicted by Satan with painful sores. That's the last time we hear about Satan. He's never again mentioned by name in Job. But his influence is all over the speeches that follow. Whispering lies and half-truths in the ears of Job and his friends. In his craftiness, Satan gives them images of himself, but makes them think it's God. One of the things that that book I mentioned was, was describing were all the different ways in which the Canaanite and Egyptian myths are echoed in Job. And all the different demon gods that are mentioned and alluded to that we don't really get in the English. You see, sometimes Satan makes himself look like God. But sometimes he makes us think that God looks like him. Sometimes Satan makes himself look like God. 
but sometimes he makes us think that God looks like him. But evil is not God. Evil is evil. So now, God exposes the heart of the evil of creation. That's right in the heart, that's sort of baked in. It's a bit like an egg in a cake. You can't take the egg out of the cake once you've baked the cake. At one point, Job described a monster who churned up the sea. Chapter 26, verse 12. He's talking about God, but now he realizes it's Leviathan. Chapter 41, verse 31, who makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron. Job realizes that what he thought was evil was God, was evil. All those pictures that he'd used, having a go at God, were actually pictures of Satan. And so Job admits there is more to the world than he can possibly know. In chapter 42, verse 3, things beyond my understanding. His view of God hasn't changed, but it has grown richer and deeper. He says these famous words, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. But what has he seen? See, God has exposed the great mystery of evil at the heart of creation. Behemoth the beast and Leviathan the dragon. But they are not God's equal. They are creatures too. They are fearsome. They are terrible. They are far too much for us humans to handle. But they are creatures nonetheless. See, Job's greatest fear has been that the evil he's suffered is unrestrained. It's limitless. That either God is himself evil, or he can't do anything about evil. But evil is not unlimited. Even the frightening Leviathan is to God what pets are to us. In one of the Psalms, It ironically talks about Leviathan frolicking in the sea. Then there's the picture of the sea, another symbol for evil and chaos. It has its limits set by God. Evil is not unlimited. It is not unrestrained. God reigns it in. See, Job has spent this whole time trying to justify himself. Only now he realizes that only God can do that. Now he realizes that only God has the power to limit evil, but also to bring good and life out of it. See, this is not neat and tidy. I hope that none of you, if you've been listening throughout the series, I hope none of you was expecting a neat and tidy answer at the end of the book of Job. We're not quite there yet, but there is no neat and tidy answer. There is no explanation of why the evil and suffering is baked into the universe like an egg is baked into a cake. But what God does say is that evil is limited and that he is greater. And that is what Job sees, finally. He doesn't get the answer he wanted, but he gets what he needed, a vision of who God really is. And so he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Today's title is Who Alone Can Rescue? And the letter to the Hebrews puts it like this. 
Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, that's Jesus, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Evil and death, my friends, they are too strong for me. They're too strong for you. But they are not too strong for him. Behemoth the beast and Leviathan the dragon are terrifying. Nothing on earth is their equal but they cannot stand before our heavenly Father. Don't try to save yourself. Leviathan is too strong for you, but God is greater. Only he can save. Only he can rescue. Amen. to um, sing the song Be Still and Know as we uh, think about those things that Ben has just said and then Peter will bring us our intercessions. So uh, stand if you'd like to or stay set if you would uh, like to do it. Sing more prayerfully perhaps. Feel free to do what you choose. We couldn't um, do the service today without also singing a little bit of You Alone Can Rescue, because as Ben's mentioned, we can't do any of this unless we've been rescued by Jesus at the cross. And you are 